is an interview with Manuel Rosenthal. Uh, he's in Colombia right now. Um, this is uh, These answers were recorded on May 30th, 2020. And it's an interview about um, the mobilizations before the pandemic, which were massive back in November, which um, seems a long way away. Uh, the main drivers of those mobilizations, what's happened with the pandemic and the state response, uh, where things are headed. And just at the end of the interview, the news was coming in that U.S. troops uh, have arrived in Colombia supposedly to fight narco-trafficking. So the interview is conducted over WhatsApp because um, uh, Manuel's internet in Colombia is not so good. So uh, the questions were sent to him and he responded over WhatsApp and I've cut them together here. Hello, friends and compañeras, compañeros, with whom we've been in touch for many years. And although there are periods of time where we're not in contact, uh, we know of the uh, permanent efforts and their knowledge of the context and their commitment to making sure that through Latin America Aldea, uh, people are up to date in what's happening in our region. So thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. So the first question uh, for Manuel is, what is the context uh, pre-pandemic with the 2016 peace accords the um, and the supposed <laughs> situation of of peace in Colombia. I'm being asked what the context was in Colombia before the pandemic started. And I can summarize it by saying that on the 21st of November, this country, the majority of the people of this country, in an unprecedented uprising that involved the entire country, not only the main major cities, but small cities and rural areas, mobilized massively in a spontaneous move, movement, not controlled by any political party or any specific movement, but it was an expression, a spontaneous expression of, of anger and also a party, a carnival of people fed up with a, a stinking minority that has controlled this country and killed us and subdued us for a long time. So that was the context and I will provide some details. The second question is, what were these main, the main drivers of the November mobilizations? I know they were big and multi, very multi-issue. So how would you summarize what the main drivers of those were? So I'm asked what the, the motivations for the mobilizations were, and, and the first thing I must say that there was no reason not to, mo not to mobilize. The only people in this country that would not mobilize would be those who benefit from a fascist state of uh, exclusion and discrimination worsening at all times. So I will summarize the motivations in three blocks. One first block I'll talk about is uh, the legal reforms and the new legislation package being passed by this government. First, a pension reform in a country where seven out of 10 elderly have no access to any kind of support after the age of pensioning. 
now the this will worsen the age one can where one can reach any right to pension has increased and the amount one will receive will lessen and this is being approved so that more money goes into the coffer of government to be shifted off in corrupt uh, in all kinds of corrupt mechanisms to the wealthiest and transnational corporations. Uh, two, the, the second huge package is a massive tax reform that removes any uh, obligation from the wealthy to contribute, including transnational corporations, particularly mining and oil uh, Canadian corporations, amongst others, and then imposes further taxation to the poor, but mostly removes uh, any kind of social pro programs from the poor people in the country. Uh, so that's the second package. And the third one grants impunity, absolute impunity to criminals, uh, white collar criminals, including former ministers of the government, who have been involved with death squads and massive corruption with stealing enormous amounts of money or transferring money from the states, uh, including agrarian funds for the poorest peasants, transferring these funds into the wealthiest people of the country, paramilitary forces or death squads and amongst the poorest and impoverishing actively the poorest of the poor in most need. These people are being granted a second opportunity and are being portrayed and presented as victims of political persecution. And then they will not only be freed, but they will likely be compensated by the state with public funds and then will run for government. These are assassins and thieves of the Colombian elite in power. The second component is that after the signature of the uh, of the peace agreement between the government and FARC, uh, the condition of war in this country not only hasn't ceased, but is worsening. The uh, data show that uh, there, there are assassinations of uh, social leaders, unarmed social leaders throughout the country, threatening of social leaders throughout the country, and assassination, systematic assassination of a former FARC guerrilla members who are unarmed in the most brutal way. So uh, all over the country, social leaders who de that defend human rights, rights to land, rights to justice, basic rights are being threatened and murdered throughout the country. And the only ones with the capacity to do this are the Colombian armed forces, likely in articulation with big data. Uh, the peace agreements not only have not been kept, but there, there is a systematic a fascist assassination and threatening process going on throughout the country. The other component is that the Colombian army and uh, police and armed forces in general is involved in uh, scandals that have uh, reached uh, the international scene. For example, the false positives, uh, which involve the systematic assassination of civilians and to be presented as fallen in combat and members of the guerrilla 
which took place during the government of uh, Álvaro Uribe Vélez, the two governments, and then continue to happen and are increasing, had uh, one of its uh, main commanders in a high-ranking officer in the Colombian uh, armed forces, General Nicasio Martinez, when he was uh, shown to be part of this false positive during the Uribe government, at that very moment, he was appointed by the current president, Duque, as the commander-in-chief of the Colombian armed forces. But he's not the only one. Human Rights Watch has exposed this situation, amongst others, showing that most of the highest-ranking Colombian uh, armed forces commanders have been directly or indirectly involved in the commission of these thousands of crimes which are now increasing, and as the New York Times exposed, uh, the, the, there were orders by the higher, highest ranking officers in the Colombian army last year to implement this strategy of assassination of civilians presented as guerrilla members uh, once again. Another component of this anger that led people into the streets, it was the uh, systematic assassination of children the Colombian Armed Forces, ordered by the ministers of defense, uh, committed horrendous crimes against children, bombing places that where children lived. And this was exposed by a television newscast channel and uh, then became a scandal throughout the country that could not be denied and forced the resignation of the Minister of Health, of, of uh, Defense which changed nothing at all. More and more cases are being exposed. The armed forces of Colombia, all of the armed forces are involved directly uh, with drug trafficking, with the fascist paramilitary forces, with transnational corporations, and in, in engaged in massive corruption, uh, deviating funds, including funds from the Pentagon, for the commission of all kinds of crimes and for the enrichment of the highest ranking officers. This has been exposed and this angered us. Not only do they not protect us, but transnational corporate interests, mafias and a corrupt, rotten elite. But now on top of that, they are acting in conjunction with them. They are the same forces and they become extremely wealthy through this practice. This was all exposed. It became absolutely clear to us uh, that the, the government of Colombia, the elites in Colombia and the Colombian state itself does not protect us, does, is not there to serve us. It's there to, it's there to serve elites, racism, transnational corporate interests, uh, and to launch a permanent and persisting and growing uh, war against people and territories in this country in articulation with the worst and most rotten transnational corporate interests and policies. And so uh, the anger had risen to a point where President Duque had less than 30% popularity during the uh, Colombian uprising and mobilizations, the lowest any president in the Colombian history has achieved, and that is a major achievement. So such was the context. We had a government that was the enemy and is the enemy of the people, and a, a, a government and the state from which we have to 
that we have to resist and to, towards which we have to organize to resist and develop alternatives. That was the context. So the next question is what has happened with the state response to the pandemic and since the pandemic? So what's the situation since the pandemic was declared? We have been ordered to be confined in our homes and social distancing in the most uh, of the in the most in the strictest of ways. Colombian armed forces have been given uh, freedom to take on the streets and to persecute any person or any group leaving their homes. And it is, of course, presented a, portrayed as our protection. The Colombian government has passed the legislation that it, we were struggling against during our uprisings and, and more of it under the protection of the pandemic. The Colombian president has launched a, a media campaign to improve his image at a huge expense from public resources. And this is ongoing and unfortunately amongst the middle classes, he's gaining in popularity. Uh, through this campaign that is ongoing and it, it goes uh, over everywhere all the time. The, of course, like everywhere else, the educational system has been transferred to internet, but mostly what is happening is a massive structural adjustment program based on uh, fascist policies. The 70% of the population in Colombia make their living through informal economy daily subsistence economy. All these activities of daily subsistence are under systematic attack. They are being actively destroyed with the confinement measures. We are under a permanent state of siege that just yesterday was announced will be extended until the end of June. Uh, the, the schools and educational systems have been closed completely and the army and the police forces are out in the streets. While they're out in the streets, uh, the assassination of social leaders and formal, former FARC uh, members has increased in 53%. So it's now openly that the armed forces and the paramilitaries, which are one and the same thing, are murdering and threatening people throughout the country. Just next to where we live here in Cauca, uh, the drug trafficking, uh, the so-called FARC dissidents, uh, paramilitary forces and the army are killing people, including throwing grenades into gatherings of people in a community called Suarez, entering the houses of social leaders and murdering them and their families in groups of 10 or 15, and the uh, false positive and assassination strategy throughout the country uh, has used the pandemic to extend itself. So we have a war against people, a state of tyranny, fascism, a propaganda campaign to recruit people in support of the president and his propaganda measures while the country is delivered to corruption, drug trafficking, uh, transnational corporations and a structural adjustment program that will confine us even further and permanently. This is what's going on throughout the pandemic. The next question is, where do you think things are headed? I mean, 
it's such an uncertain situation. So where what what can you what can we expect to see? The there's a Colombian model we could talk about, uh, but it doesn't stay in Colombia and it wasn't designed in Colombia only. Since the 70s or 80s, these territories were mapped out because of the resources, the geographic location, both urban and rural. Once the, they were mapped out, the mega projects were identified and then the, the territories had to remove people from their territories, impoverish them so that these projects could be launched. So, so the drug trafficking, the paramilitaries, the armed forces, <clears throat> all armed factions, no matter where from, contributed to the dispossession of the territories through terror and the massive displacement of people, more than 8 million people, into urban areas in conditions of misery. From these people, many were recruited into these armies, one or the other, to pursue this violence and the others were impoverished in the cities to develop the uh, informal economy that they're getting rid of through these pandemic uh, policies now. Uh, the, once the territories were freed from people, then they were acquired by the Colombian elites, large landowners and corporations, and then the mega projects have begun to be built. So the large, huge port of Puerto Antioquia, a city on the ocean in, in the uh, Atlantic Ocean near the Panama Canal, the, uh, the harbor of Buenaventura, designed to displace uh, through terror and assassination millions of people, but then hydroelectrics, uh, mining, fracking and uh, deforestation of the Amazon. The entire country has been mapped out by these mafias, corporations, legal and illegal, armed forces, drug trafficking, to transform this country into uh, or for the service of corporate interests. And this is what is happening and this is what is developing with uh, the dismantling through the peace agreement of the uh, organized uh, defense and alternative processes. Not because FARC was dismantled, but mostly because the lie of a peace agreement has been used to uh, buy the strongest indigenous and popular and political processes. People were captured with the resources of the peace agreement and uh, they would lose these resources and these promises that are not being kept should they mobilize. So the mobilizations of the 21st of November were the first time in many years that those who allowed themselves to be bought by the lie of a peace process uh, recognized their failure. And then the people who were not part of these lies and did not accept them, let the entire process. The pandemic has taught us something that we cannot and should not uh, continue under the state and capitalism. And this is not just a theoretical principle or a political principle from a vanguard. It is an absolute necessity, not just an option, but an imperative. So we are seeing more and more that there are territories, indigenous territories, for example, that are 
being closed completely to outside contact where the production of food uh, for exchange and guaranteeing food supply to local people, the protection of territories for autonomy, the establishment of healthcare systems that are not uh, for um, merchandise and for accumulation of, of wealth, uh, the uh, weaving of autonomies throughout territories and processes uh, are not an option anymore. They're an absolute necessity and imperative and they have to take place now. So the pandemic is also an opportunity in this context, not only in Colombia, in Ecuador, in Chile, everywhere else, to organize and get rid of the state. The context is very difficult, but we have no, no alternative. If we continue under the state and capitalism, we will uh, go directly into the destruction of nature, Mother Earth, and territories and people. So this is what the priorities are now. Uh, the experiment taking place in Colombia as elsewhere in the world is delivering the planet to a few corporate interests and their need to eliminate excess population, excess capital and capture uh, lacking resources, mostly Mother Earth. And so uh, this massive adjustment, which is really a war against the people and Mother Earth, is no alternative, but they have to launch it. Uh, and it is a war against all of us. So the alternatives are diverse, territorial-based, uh, people-based uh, weaving of territories and processes to free ourselves from the state and this project. This uh, would have been a while back a possibility or maybe an option now they're an imperative and this is what this situation is teaching us and we hope it teaches others elsewhere because we will not free ourselves from a local project if we not weave each other throughout countries and regions of the world uh, from capital. Capitalism is suicide and war and we have to free ourselves from it. And finally, uh, this breaking kind of news that the U that there are U.S. troops in Colombia supposedly on the pretext of fighting narco trafficking. Uh, what does this mean, and what's going to happen with this? The fact that U.S. troops were arriving into Colombia with the pretext of joining the war on drugs. They are joining the war, yes, but not against drugs, but the war with the pretext of drug trafficking as a transnational corporate policy uh, and the war against people. Uh, when US troops were here before, like in other places in Latin America, these troops only committed the worst of crimes with absolute impunity. And the regions uh, have not been uh, displayed by the government who covered up this entire violation of Colombian sovereignty and the invasion. We know for a fact that Cauca is one of the regions, so is Catatumbo in the border with Venezuela. This is a very, very serious and grave situation. And I would have to denounce publicly that the only thing that can happen with the US presence, military presences in Colombia, is further assassinations, violations, and the increase of drug trafficking.
because they do not fight against it.